Hello, everyone, and welcome to the American Scouser Podcast. Another Monday, our trio is here. I am your host, Muchin, and we have the nighttime version of Paul Bickler with us today. Paul, what's happening? What's going on? Ah, not too much, not too much. Headed for like yet another crazy week. Gally is also with us. Gally, what is happening with you? Yeah, not too much. Good to see Bickler and his sleeves. Yep, covered up. All covered up. <laughs> More the PG version of uh, Bickler here today with us. Uh, daytime is when he goes R-rated, <laughs> apparently. So, yeah. so a lot to get to, but of course, let's get to your guys' favorite part first, which is trivia. So the, this week's trivia, once again, submitted by BJ, is so. Obviously, we're playing Valorant in the second leg tomorrow. Uh, it is related to that. Unai Emery, we played him six times so far uh, under three different teams. What is our record against them? And the aggregate score would be the tiebreaker, since I know you guys will get this right. <laughs> Just kidding. Probably not, but still. Bickler, we will start with you. Well, I mean, I don't know what aggregate score means across all fixtures combined together. I mean, not that we're going to get to a tiebreaker. <laughs> no, this is for the goals in these six games. So we want a record against Unai Emery, and we want goals scored, goals conceded as the tiebreaker. Um, I'll go, go four wins, one draw, two losses. Uh, total goals scored. Um, I'll go twelve total goals conceded. I'll go five. Uh-huh. You 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 do this every time, man. You kill me. First thing you do is, is in six games you give us seven results, <laughs> four wins, <laughs> one draw, and two losses. Yeah, I gotta give I'm you something go. to cheer about. I mean, <laughs> it's go. it's called Bickler math. Uh, what do you have, Galley? I'm going to go four wins, one and one, and I don't even think that's right. Um, and I'll say it's 14 to six. Oh, that's exact guess that Chris Strain has. He has four in two. So against my Emery, yes, six games for Sevilla, Arsenal, and obviously Villarreal in six matches. Um, four of them were with Arsenal, by the way. Three wins, two draws, and one loss. And the aggregate score is 17 to 11. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that is kind of um, interesting, knowing especially like the last game. And then we'll talk about it, obviously, the last part of the podcast. We will talk more about that game and expect the lineups and our stuff uh, going into tomorrow. But let's start with the weekend. Uh, so early game, usually a horror story. Uh, the good thing about, you know, you guys know I worry all the time. The good thing about these early games is I wake up literally five minutes before the game. So the the extreme anxiety I get usually before kickoff is very short-lived. Uh, but I know what the hell happened. Despite setting the alarm, I woke up and it felt like it was probably eight, nine in the morning. And I was like, God damn it. I woke up late, but it was actually only like 6, 10. I'm like, oh, never mind. So I was wide awake. Then I look at the lineup, and I was wide awake again. I was like, what the hell is going on? Uh, so big risks taken, Galley. 
Were you surprised? Were you okay with the risk level? Or where were you at seeing this lineup? So I was definitely surprised with the amount of rotation. Um, I expected some. I didn't expect this much. Um, I'm always nervous. I think we all talk about it. You know, at this point, when I see James Milner starting a match, it makes me nervous, um, especially starting a match in midfield. And then when it gets uh, compounded with playing with Henderson and Keita, it made me extra nervous. No Mo, no Bobby on the bench, and then no Trent. Those were, that's a pretty big call from Jurgen. Um, and it worked out, obviously, knowing the result, but it was squeaky at times. And, you know, he knows his side better than any of us, but I was as shocked as you were. And I'll admit, I thought to myself, I was feeling a little bit like you and the normal nerves that you tell us you wake up with every single time. Um, every time. It sounds like every day you wake up, honestly, you wake up with a little bit of... <laughs> sounds about right. Sounds about right. <laughs> the day ends with why, uh, but especially on match days where Jurgen does as much rotation as that for lunchtime kickoffs coming off short weeks of build-up. Looking back, though, now, Bickler, doesn't Milner seem like the ultimate choice, especially in the fact that it was an away game at Newcastle, as opposed to somebody that might have more pace or I don't know about energy, but definitely more pace like Jones or somebody like that being worked into midfield. It almost felt like having Hendo and Milner there established that physicality that you know you kind of have to go when you go away to Newcastle. Yeah, I mean, I think we say that in hindsight. We've also spent two years complaining about the fact that when Henderson and Milner starts, there's not enough creativity. and It's too much of the mm -hmm. same thing, right? I mean, I think – I mean, it's probably poetic justice that I always complain about not enough rotation. And then when we do rotate, I decide that I don't like it. Uh, like, so, uh, but I mean, you look at it and I think, you know, we talked about a little bit of this in the ratings, but I think that like starting Milner and Henderson in that same midfield allowed Nabby to have the creative freedom to sort of roam in a way that like is, it suits his strengths. Um, but we can look back and we can say that because, Nabi and Gomez and Milner, and even to some extent Diaz on the right, who were all major question marks going in, all exceeded expectations off paper. They all had phenomenal games for where they were and how we saw it before the match. Yeah, that right-hand side especially was the biggest concern. So what are you, I guess, most pleasantly surprised with Galli? Like, what was your takeaway from that game once we kind of walked away with the three points? Well, I mean, I, honestly, I the most pleasant surprise I am is that, you know, the homeless man, Joe Gomez, kind of looks like he's rounding back into shape and doesn't look as homeless as he did earlier in the season. And he actually looks like a right back who can service. And he's not going to be Trent, but he knows how to play that position to his skill sets. And I thought he defended well. Um, I think that he really didn't have much to do, but at times he got forward, he created, and uh, he's been a very pleasant surprise. He's done a great job deputizing for Trent. It's got to be hard backing up someone who basically does something at such a high level in going forward that I think that it probably makes it a little daunting at times because he's such a focal point of our attack. 
And I think Gomez really did a great job. And to do that with Diaz uh, speaks volumes as well, because they haven't, they could not have had much time together on the pitch and they didn't show that at all. Yeah, they didn't show that in the interplay. I, I, but I thought in terms of like defensive work rate, you probably can't ask for somebody better than Diaz on that side as well. So that definitely helps as well as pace. I mean, you kind of like get that pace, which, you know, Gomez is a fast dude. He just does not, he might not have like the, the final delivery that Trent has sometimes. But I think like you're saying, it kind of like plays within himself. And yeah, I mean, he had an excellent game. I Was he your man of the match, by the way, if I remember right, Pickler? I had it as Navi, um, which is, you know, that was interesting in general because the last start that him and Gomez started together, Navi was actually on the opposite side. He was on the left. And we haven't actually seen Navi play on that side with Gomez behind him this entire calendar year. So uh, it was just like, it's, it's in, in retrospect, it's a crazy, crazy call to make uh, going down the quad. But like, that's Klopp, right? He gets he gets paid to make huge decisions, and he made a huge one, and it all they all clicked. So, so let's talk about that a little bit, because and I want to start with you on this, Bickler, because I know we've talked about this several times in the podcast before, and when we've compared, you know, like Klopp and you know, like Pep and stuff like that, in terms of, you know, like squad management, rotation, and things like that, because we have not been happy in the past, and I think or we felt like it wasn't rotated enough and things like that. And now four years, obviously we're going for the quad this year. We have like played the most, I mean, the maximum number of games that we possibly can. So looking back now and seeing what he's doing, do you think he's doing it out of, uh, no, I don't want to say desperation, but like dire needs or all along, if he had a squad that he trusted more, he would have done this all along. And maybe in the past, people that we thought could be rotated in here and there, like Taki and Ox and stuff like that, he just maybe did not have full confidence in. Um, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sit here and pretend like you know if we had had more players that he trusted, we'd have seen this earlier. I think that he was forced into making some decisions that has made him find things that are better for the squad. Like certainly, the acquisition of Diaz is huge in that manner. But if you look at it, like, we really started playing Diaz because we started subbing him on, and he was so dynamic that he almost played his way into the lineup. At the same time, Mane was seriously struggling, right? So there's your first kind of shift. And then we look at Jota's performance started to drop. At the very same time, Bobby got hurt. So you have Jota dropping off, Bobby injured, Sadio struggling, and I think we were we kind of got into the situation where like Diaz is in the lineup and has played his way in, and it's hard to keep him off the pitch. And I think that that was where the decision was made. Like we've seen Sadio play cup in it centrally before, so let's see what happens when we do that, right? But if if Jotz is on fire, if Bobby's fit, I don't know that Klopp even sees that as a viable option. So I think it's a combination of new players playing themselves in. And injuries and form and fitness happening. What do you think, Gally? What's your take on that? Because, I mean, that's what I was thinking when I saw the lineup. Kind of what Bickler was saying, you know, like we always complain about not enough rotation. But when you do see the rotation, it does kind of scare you because it feels like you don't have your best 11 out there. But with all the stuff we got going, you almost have to have the rotation, whether you like it or not. But what is your take on that? I agree a lot with what Paul was just saying. I think part of it, too, is is that Klopp has 
evolved. We, we talked about how he would use a small squad at Dortmund. He could get away with it in the Bundesliga because really, let's be honest, they play like six meaningful matches a season that are top, top high-end quality. You have time to kind of rest within matches. There's just teams that don't compete at the same level of the Premier League. And I think after four or five years of being in the Premier League, in competing in Europe, uh, you know, if we, if everything goes right tomorrow, we will appear in the European Championship final match three of the last five years. That's a lot of extra football. And I think that at the same time we have strengthened and we have more talent than ever before, it's allowed Klopp to get more comfortable utilizing a deeper squad. And I think he finally heard the fans clamoring for domestic trophies, for making this team. You know, I think Kazi used to say it the best in, in our Discord channel where he would talk about, like, if all we end up winning is a couple European Cups and one Premier League title, this will be a waste for this club. Like, we should be greedy and go for every last trophy and every medal because these guys deserve it. And I know that's been echoed here before. And I, I think Klopp has bought into that. But to do that, you have to have a deeper squad. He's buying it. And to Paul's point, I'd argue we still haven't had a time yet since Diaz has been here where we had all five really attack-minded players available to clock. Because Bobby has been available, I think, three times since AFCON for starts. So, I mean, I think when we won't know what that rotation looks like. But we also never had two players like Thiago and Keita that we had to actually make a decision over in midfield. So it's just the depth that the squad is growing into. And I think we're going to see a little bit more of this going forward. So I know on like Thursday's podcast, Gally, that you were hosting with the Irish mob over there, you guys kind of covered this. But Paul, you know, we haven't had a chance to kind of like talk about it on air in terms of Klopp's extension. And so that... What do you make of that in general? And especially with this rotation thing, obviously next year we're going to have like the five players. Do you think kind of like what Galley is saying that he will continue to evolve or is this, I mean, it's just the way he normally runs the squad is he likes smaller squads. I mean, I think he will continue to evolve and adapt a little bit. I think he, I mean, I agree with, with Galley. I think he has, I think he has adapted and I think he is evolving. Um, I don't know to what extent, I mean, like the five substitution conversation is just trolling me into a joke about Jurgen's substitutes because <laughs> he's going to use two at like the 85th minute and then like summon stop. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I, the extension is great. I mean, the best news possible at the best time. He's going to retire red. Um, I, contrary to everybody else, well, not everybody else, contrary to a lot of opinions, I don't think he has any interest in, in managing the national team, nor do I think he will at any point. Um, so I think he's going to ride this thing out and then ride out into the sunset as is arguably the greatest Liverpool manager ever. And I mean, that's great for us. Um, and if we know anything about Liverpool, the, they have a succession plan for everything. So I believe they already know who his man, the, the next manager is going to be. Um, and I'm really excited just to be a part of this in general. I mean, this is a special time to be a Liverpool supporter. Um, this is the best football the, the club has ever played. And we're witnessing some, some incredible things. 
just how much it was celebrated alone, I think, shows, you know, how valuable he is. I mean, it was almost like better than any signing that we could have probably had. I mean, if this is the transfer season, sounds good to me kind of deal. It, it is better than any signing you could have, though. That's that's the whole thing. I mean, this is a guy that has taken, you know, good players and gave them the belief to fulfill their potential. Like, I don't like saying he made Andy Robertson, but I'm pretty sure if Andy Robertson had left Hull City and ended up on a Brendan Rodgers team, he wouldn't be the best left back in the world. And I don't think that's going out on a limb to say that. And I, I, I just feel like that's what we have here. We have players lining up trying to come play for him. We have guys like Jeannie Wijnaldum making, you know, actual admissions to overall mistakes for underestimating what happiness and being like feeling connected to their job and their club. I, I just believe that there's, to Paul's point, there's something really special. We're very lucky that we're here. And the fact that the deal could be done as quickly as it was, you know, speaks to all those internet trolls over the last five years of being so wrong every time someone wanted to tell me why he was going to leave because we weren't signing $90 million players every transfer window. And he has re-upped with these owners twice after he said he wouldn't sign another contract because he's so enthralled with the program that he doesn't want to let, he doesn't want to watch anyone else succeed with it. Even though he'd love for Pep to go on and succeed him, he wants to be part of it because he knows how special it's going to be. And I just, we, we, we got so lucky that he picked us. And what do you think the fit. reasoning is for that, Paul? I mean, I, you know, we, we all heard the conversation, Ola and these guys like talked about it, you know, in terms of like taking Ola for it and stuff. But it, obviously he had a very stressful year last year. I mean, not only, I guess, job-wise for him in terms of Liverpool, the injuries and the stuff that we have to go through along with COVID. But he also lost his mom, and there was a lot of stuff going on with that, and we kind of know how much that meant to him. Um, but then, I mean, at that time, I don't blame him for obviously saying, you know what, I'm just going to take time off afterwards. What do you think is the biggest trigger? Is it just this rebuilding this happening that's almost exciting him? Uh, with all these young players, potential players coming in, or you know, I don't think do you... it has anything to do with new signings. I think it has to do with what's already there. Uh, I think it has mm -hmm. to do with the owners. I think it has to do with the city. Um, you know, he talks about how comfortable his family is there. We know how big of a part uh, his wife had in making the decision. Um, and I think you know, we preach culture, we preach family, and I think at the end of the day, when he looked at the squad and saw that the majority of uh, the people, a lot of these people who were boys when he signed on and have grown into men in some of the best footballers in the world, I think when he looked at that and saw that the core of, of this group is is really up for uh, contracts ending right around the time he extended for, um, I don't think that's necessarily a coincidence. I think at the end of the day, when he looked at it and he was like, you know, this is when I said I was going to walk away, he just wasn't ready to leave family yet. Um, and, and that's that's the feeling I got from that, from from just listening to what he had to say. So going back to that, and I'm going to come back to you on this, too. Do you guys think this means obviously when 
negotiations are going on and in the pace that it went in i think fsg is smart enough to know his value to say what do you want got it done because it went really fast the whole negotiation part once he showed interest next thing you know he was signed you know we heard of the like the possibility next thing you know it was official do you think galley that any of like future squad plans or anything like that goes into those discussions in terms of like, let's say most contract money's contract or like, you know, what's going to happen in the summer and stuff like that. Or it's, they already know this is how they do business and it's going to be a business as usual. That does not even get discussed. So short answer, no. And the reason for my reasoning for that though, is, is I think Jurgen has say in the business matters that pertain to the football squad. I think Jurgen fills them in on what he believes and what he thinks is important. I think he believes in their business model and the way that they run things. I think Jurgen Klopp had one concern and one concern only in negotiating that two-year contract. And that was increases for his entire backroom staff and that they all were on board as well and that Pep wanted to stay. And I think it meant a lot to Jurgen that Pep said, I'll re-up my deal through 2026 as well. Cause it showed the commitment to the, to the, to the whole core. I mean, I think he said it like my love for this man goes so beyond football. Like it, it they've built something that I, I genuinely think is special. And I think that was part of the reason he cared more about Pep getting taken care of than he was asking about Mo or Mani. And I genuinely, I said it earlier, I don't think it has anything to do with the other. Every day that goes by that Mo gets closer to his contract running down, I feel less confident he's going to sign with the club. I hope I'm wrong. But at the end of the day, to steal a line from Paul, we're going to be fine because Jurgen Klopp's going to be here to sign the next guy or coach up the next guy who replaces him. And I think that's what this team's all about. They're buying players to keep this machine going. And if you want to be on the train, you'll be on the bus. And if you if you want to play somewhere else, that's what's going to end up happening. I just don't think this club's going to negotiate with their manager around player contracts because they're not bending over backwards for a guy who's arguably been the best Liverpool player since Steven Gerrard left. And I can understand that whole assistant concept. I mean, I've had situations where, you know, if you have a really good assistant and sometimes, hell man, you, you know, you go through the same battles with these guys, you know, like they're sometimes, I mean, you know, personally how valuable they are to the overall operation, even though you get the credit or the blame or whatever as the top guy. And heck, sometimes you see them more than you see your family, really depends on what you're doing. I would think that's probably the case for a club as well in terms of what they do. Um, does that, this whole ordeal with Pep extending as well, does that kind of tell you Pep will stay and not take another job as the man, Bickler? Yeah, I don't know why he would, why he would extend if he had any plans or any inclination of leaving. I don't think he wants to. I mean, I think he's, he's very happy with where he's at. And I mean, look, we give Klopp all this credit, right? I mean, I think there's part of the, the, the FSA, the FSG out crowd has just transitioned into a pro Klopp crowd. They're just a, Oh, he's a miracle worker crowd. That's now just the, the new face of that. But I think what gets lost in this 
when you talk to anybody except Jurgen Klopp himself, is how much influence Pep Lenders has on this team in terms of how they train in week in, week out. Like, not only the schedule, but how they train, like the way they train, the drills they do. Like, he is the guy who builds this from the inside out. Um, and he's a major reason why uh, the, the, the players love him. Like, he's very, very well liked by the players. Um, he's just a massive part of what we do. Um, and I don't think I, I, at the end of the day, I don't think Jurgen necessarily would go out and extend if there was an agreement between him and Pep. And that's obviously just pure speculation on my part, but they're just, there's, they work so hand in hand with how this team gets put out every week. Um, I just, I would be absolutely shocked. Like for me, there's like a, a single digit percent chance that that would happen. And I think that's probably me being, uh, fairly liberal with that number. Yeah, and I think when he mentioned that, you know, he would have to talk to Pep first, and I think it kind of goes back to, like I say, what I was saying. Sometimes you need you need to know, hey, if I'm going to do this for another four years, I'm signing. Better know that guy is going to be next to you because this job is a lot easier and manageable and probably enjoyable when you have those guys working along with you as opposed to you know trying to go through the phases. And I, you know, I agree with Paul in terms of like the FSG out crowd being that. Cause I remember a couple of years ago when Buvak or whatever, like, was that what it was his name left? Yeah. Everybody oh. was like, Oh, now we're going down. He was the key guy and stuff like that. And we've actually done better since he left. So I, it's, I agree with that. That crowd has totally changed it to, you know, and the story players. is, is that Pep was a big reason he left because like, like Jurgen started to favor his approach and I think more than that, the players started to really favor Pep. Um, but anyway. Uh, you were about to say something, Gala? No, I was. it was the same exact point you were making. All right. Uh, so let's wrap up the Newcastle game. Uh, obviously, it's a risk that's paid off. And I know it's hard to tell, Gally, what you would say if it didn't pay off. We get a last-minute goal and we get a draw out of that. But... Do you expect, obviously, we play the Champions League game tomorrow, so we do have a longer break this time. We will talk about more of the lineups and stuff for this immediate game first, but coming up as we go with the FA Cup final, all that kind of stuff coming up, do you see as much rotation moving forward? I see rotation for the Villa match because it's another Saturday to Tuesday turnaround. Um so I could see that there being some rotation there leading up to the FA Cup final. I don't think there'll be much rotation come uh, Saturday afternoon at 2.45 against Spurs. I think you get five days off. Hopefully he'll rotate a little bit tomorrow uh, with some of the Champions League lineup. We'll talk about that. And, you know, I think the amount of time – that they have to recoup and kind of rest and the late kickoff on Saturday, you know, it's, it's a full five, six hour swing from uh, what they had to do this Saturday and they had one less day. So I'm hoping that will be less rotation there, but I could see some rotation against Villa on Tuesday, midweek the following week. 
So let's get to let's rub some salt and wounds as we wrap up this last uh, week and look at fantasy football. Or do you guys even want to? My wounds have been open with salt pouring and nonstop for months now, so not as big of a deal for me. But I saw that all three of us definitely had a miserable week. But the highlight of the week, kind of sorta in a way, is Kelly got a bit closer to the leader, but now there is. Uh, she's fourth still on, let's see, 19 points behind. It's getting pretty tight up there, but I have to keep scrolling down to get the unnecessary pet drama and Jesus really scroll down to get to Galley. Um, this whole, uh, so what do you guys allude? Go ahead, Galley. Just Kelly got, Kelly got crushed because she actually had a decent week and she had four players not play. And she has nobody on the bench to like sub in. Like she, she literally had Barnes, Madison. Like she had all these players getting rested for Europe. She had Trent. She had Mo as her captain. And Friday night, she told me, she actually said, "I think I'm gonna captain Son." And if she had captain Son, she'd be two points out of first place right now. And that's just this, as you guys would say, that's the stupid game because the difference between actually winning the whole damn thing. Is literally picking the right player every week to be kept. Because if you do that for 35 weeks, you'll be at the top. No, the game is stupid because not because of not captaining somebody. I can kind of tell, you know, if it was just that, I would say, oh, that's kind of a skill. You know, you're looking at the matchups and trying to, you know, it's like picking up a like a running back against the poor run defense or something like that in like American football. But no, like you give it to Mo and he's not even freaking playing. Right, Bickler? I know you'll agree with me. <laughs> That's right. But if you have a super weak bench and you captain somebody else, that person gets the points. Too bad it was the wrong hotspur for me. Exactly. Um, yeah, I peaked early. I'm all done. I, I, I peaked early. I made it to like top five. And I'm just gonna fade on down the charts now, so I can talk a lot of shit in the offseason. The How real bad. question is where Matus will finish because he started right. talking a lot of smack as yeah. he had a couple good weeks. Yeah. So now it'll be interesting because that the wheels can come off that that Polish Maserati real quick, and they'll come flying off. And before you know it, he'll be all frustrated, coming up with some kind of excuse. I'm sure, um, but we'll we'll see. We got a couple weeks left. I pride myself in consistency. Uh, started as crap, continued as crap, and we'll probably finish at crap. But I'm so uh, proud of you for setting lineups every week this long. Uh, actually, you know what? Thanks, Bickler. Thanks for noticing. I appreciate it. See, I don't get appreciated enough. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and honestly, if it wasn't for this podcast, I probably would have forgotten by now. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's face it. So since we got Galley going, I, he doesn't show it, but we kind of saw it last Monday, right? Uh, this kind of like bubbles about bringing some inner pain. So let's help him get that frustration out. So he sent me this earlier today uh, to be able to kind of like talk about it on the podcast. And I can kind of see where this is going to go. And let the party begin. So, Galley, please tell me this is the girl that caught the flare. I no. Well, I think she might have got something worse. She has two things worse. One, she is holding in her right hand a game-worn Richarlison jersey. That is worse than if she had caught the flare. Two, she's also holding on to a heathen that looks like it's probably her father wrapped around the. You know, she's wrapped around his head. Because honestly, who sends their kid 
to any form of a professional endeavor and lets them beg for anything. That kid was holding up a shirt at another person's professional job asking for their uniform. I mean, if I walked into Burger King and held up a sign that I wanted the Fry Guy's shirt or his shoes or his sneakers, and you guys can laugh at me and think I'm, and think I'm a joke, when did it become okay for kids to go to soccer matches or baseball games and ask for gloves or anything else? When I was 10 years old, I sent Marty Barrett five tops baseball cards with a self-addressed stamped envelope. You know what I got back to my Felt Street address? Goddamn nothing. You know why? Because Marty Barrett and his 75-inch mustache was probably laughing at it when the mail came in. He was like, this kid thinks I'm going to sign this. There is no flipping way. And second of all, it's bad enough to go to a soccer match and ask for a jersey or ask for a uniform, but you're going to ask for Richarlison's? Who would let their kid anywhere near that human being, let alone take his clothes? Really, it was terrible. Uh, so, there's a lot to unpack. There's a lot. Yeah, I'll let you unpack all you want. People. And I've well, said like, this before. I've, I've 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 talked about this rant in the past. There's there's a way to get a jersey. Make the team. There's another way. You go to the pro shop and your parents buy it. That's how I would have got a jersey. Like. Let these guys trade their jerseys on the pitch. Let them share the things they want to share. Let them get off the field without being accosted for their clothes. I'm not going to ask the police officer for his badge the next time I get pulled over. I'm not going to ask Timuchin for his hat if I meet him. But seriously, we don't right. need people. I'm going to boil this down to three main points. One, I'm the fucking grumpy guy, okay? And you're treading dangerously into my territory here. Two, we've got a full seven months till Christmas, Scrooge, so calm down. Three, <laughs> this is the oddest thing that I've ever heard you get upset about. It's literally the weirdest thing that I've ever heard you get upset about. And you've got upset about some weird things. But it makes a little bit more sense since it's so obviously rooted in the initial trauma of this Topps baseball card. So, like, it's it's a little bit – it's making a little bit more sense. And I have an, an amazing therapist I can get you in touch with. We can kind of work through this problem. But, like, you asked since when is it okay for you to bring your kids to the game to get stuff. I mean, since the beginning of fucking time, Galley, kids have done this. Um, it, like, literally since the beginning of time, children have gone through games and asked for things – from professional athletes, because unlike the dude at Burger King, like the people on those bitch are somewhat famous. And like, as humans, we want a part of that. Now, the only legitimate part of this whole tantrum you're throwing, which I understand is the Rick Carlson angle, because that is a weird angle. But if you're an Everton fan, you don't have a whole lot of options. And that's probably the guy that's gotten you the highest of highs. We see the low lows, but he's also gotten them uh, like, most of their highlights throughout the year, uh, I'd probably, I'd probably have my kid looking for an Anthony Gordon, hoping that his career trajectory keeps going up, and not Rick Carlson. But um, that that part is a little bit legitimate. The rest, I have some serious concerns of. I'm probably going to contact uh, Kelly about some of this stuff and just make sure you're all right. Okay, Listen. so here's the thing. A couple of things. First off, <laughs> BJ says I might ask worker for a part of their uniform at Hooters, but that's I'll leave that to BJ. And JB makes a good point 
even players do it. They go after big players to get their like warm up signed. My thing is the key word here is kids. I mean, there is yeah. nothing more special to that girl than getting a jersey there. And you know, you're taking your kid to the game, and she's probably saying that like, you think I can get a jersey. And you know, you're saying, Hey, make a sign, you never know, because they've seen it happen before. And that's, you know, that's a day that kid is never going to forget. I mean, they're kids. Would I hold a sign saying, like, Bobby, give me your jersey? Eh, no. Uh, I don't even get the whole photo thing, but that's a whole different other story, like getting photos taken with people. I don't even get that in myself. As an adult, yeah, it doesn't make sense. Unless, like, Bickler is saying you're going to put it online once the value goes up or something like that. You have kind of, like, a commercial gain in that thing. But we're talking kids, like, they're, like – like, you know, like superheroes. And going back to the whole Richarlison thing, you know, your villain is my hero. My hero yeah. is your villain. I mean, I know we agree that, you know, he's a kind of like a piece of shit player that we wouldn't probably want to see in a red uniform. But to an Everton fan, like I say, like the whole villain hero thing can't worry. I mean, I remember, like I say, because of my like grandfather there, you know, like very involved with like Fenerbahce growing up and things like that. And I remember, you know, like meeting... Mujdat, which was kind of like he was like the Milner, let's say, of Fenerbahce at the time. He played like sweeper, uh, not very skilled, but just pure effort and stuff. And dude, I can probably recite everything that dude said to me that day when my like grandfather introduced me to him at like the club. He happened to be walking by. We got we met and stuff like that. I can literally, I can probably tell you a lot of other things, several birthdays. I don't remember specifically, but I specifically remember everything that guy said. It's just part of being a kid and you're, it's like meeting Superman. I mean, it's to, a due to us. But it's, it's all right. Not, you're, I, in, I, you're in the nest, Gally. I appreciate you being vulnerable. I mean, I, I was the first, I was the first one that was ready to open this up with like, I understand this is not a rant against parents. I know that this is an expensive day. If you can get something free, you probably should. But this isn't asking for a BP fastball or, you know, a baseball out in the outfield during BP. This is literally a game war jersey. And to Jamie's point, that was ultimately my point. Let these guys trade their jerseys amongst each other. I don't think they need to be getting hawked out to the crowd. I knew this was going to be met with resentment. And what did I tell you, Tamuchin? I knew I was coming for the wrath. I knew I was probably wrong, but it bothered me. And when I saw it on the TV, and then of all players, it was him. And I actually paused it and caught the picture. I did see the joy in the girl's face. And I'll admit, I was like, ah, that's really, really nice. But to be totally honest, I was, I, I totally kind of was a little bit like, Gally is literally upset about the distribution of other players' jerseys at the game. Now. Yes, this is what we've been reduced to. This is how good we have it, people. This is this is how good we actually can have it now. This is the shit that gets me pissed off. I used to get mad at late screamers that you know led to draws. But come a long way from dissecting the performance of Joe Allen. I'll tell you. Now, now I get yeah. Now I get. That's the thing though. Like a player on the field, if they get Gomez's jersey, they probably just throw in a lot like a bin, like a freaking laundry tub or something like that, amongst all the other jerseys they got. Whereas a kid gets that. That's being probably like framed and stuff. And it's Gomez's jersey we're talking about or like Milner or somebody like that. I mean, I don't know. I think when you sent me the picture and he knew it was coming too. And I was like, dude, we'll talk about this, but be ready. Because I don't think a lot of people are going to agree with you. (laughs) 
I knew this was coming from the complete minority here, and I'm I'm all for it. I have no problem standing on this, being the one person on this side of the fence. <laughs> I love that you fight. guys are completely cutting me out from the communication. I had no idea this was coming. Well, I felt like it would be a better segment if you didn't know this was coming, because I felt you would have some strong opinions either. I was like, what are we doing right now? I knew this was coming, but I'm still like in tears over here. It's just Bickler's reaction bias. I wanted Bickler's reaction bias. So. But the good news is now everybody wants your like hoodie, jersey, and stuff like that in the comments there. So yeah, why don't you sign some of those? Out. You still have some of those baseball cards? You can sign them, Gally, and send them out. Oh, and for God's sake, some, somebody I go probably, to eBay, get a signed probably, card, and send it to freaking Galley over here. I bet my mom. I bet my mom probably still has some like tube products, 1988 Chris Gallivan, like 10 year old baseball cards. I could sign some of those for people. They'd be outstanding. I'm about two feet tall in that picture. We might put that in the American Scouser shop and get some get something out of that because there's going to be a huge interest. After every podcast, we should just give away some clothing we're wearing or something. But uh, what a killer. Yeah, I, that's why I was like, man, we got to kind of have to work that in because I knew it was going to be it was going to be a topic of discussion. So let's hope everybody keeps their jerseys on to the 90th minute tomorrow who's going to be wearing those jerseys bickler what do you expect in terms of a lineup tomorrow tomorrow uh i looked this over i have six changes i mean mainly because we fielded like such a heavily rotated side um versus newcastle rabble uh verge canate trent on the back line uh Midfield with Thiago, Fab, and Hendo. Uh, and then the front three, Diaz, Mane, Mo. Okay. Sounds about right to me. What do you think there, Gary? What Paul said. <laughs> what he says. No, I mean, I genuinely – He just, I mean, he looks just, so demoralized, you know, man. We're going to sign well, some I mean, I, We're going to work I, through I, this I, tonight. I don't know what I'm more upset about, that I agree with you or that I actually think you're right. Um <laughs> But, could be both. Uh, yeah, it could be both. It could be, I don't know. Uh, could be no one agrees with my jersey thing. I don't know. It could be everything. No, um, I think that it's the same lineup. If anything, you know, maybe actually Kata earns himself a start here. Yeah. Uh, I feel like his play has almost warranted getting to play more. And I think we, we've always talked about how he really does excel in some of these European performances. So maybe you play Keita tomorrow from the start and you have Hendo come in and give you the solidity to see out the tie. And then you have Hendo start against Spurs. I really believe we're going to see a, I've said it before. I think there's four in the three in the front and four in the three in the midfield, the rest of the way. And it's like a 60, 30 split with the guy who's not starting. Um, and, and unfortunately for me, until I see Bobby, until there's a press conference two days before a match and Jurgen doesn't say, unfortunately, this match is going to come too quick for Bobby, I'm going to question whether we actually get to see him again this year because there's only five or six matches left, and every time we get close, it's a little bit further out. So for me right now, it's the four up front, the four in the midfield, and it's kind of a, a mix and match of three. Yeah, as Marcus says Fab, Thiago, and Keita, I kind of just going off of what we saw this weekend – 
is kind of like how I'm making this lineup in terms of like Fab, Hando, and Keita. In terms of how the minutes were kind of like distributed on the weekend and stuff. But yeah, I, I mean, I would not be shocked. Or I mean, I think the the five subs as Bickler would uh, like frown upon, but like you know, it sh- might come into play based on how the game is going. And I guess that's my biggest question, Bickler. Like, what kind of a Villarreal? And I know like Jamie's saying in the comments they have some injuries and stuff like that, but what kind of a game are you expecting from them? Do we get the game one Villarreal hoping to get one on the counter and see if they can absorb like our possession and our attacking? Or do they say, you know what? Nothing to lose. We just go for it. Um, I think just based on how they typically play and the type of manager Emery is, I think they're going to just... I think there'll be some tactical adjustments in their midfield, and I think they're going to try to counter again. I mean, they've said so much publicly. If they play us open, they're going to – they know that they're going to get torched the moment they open that up. And, and like, they basically said that. They said, like, we don't have the option to go full throttle at them because they will just insanely – they'll pull us apart. And that's that's what's got to be maddening about Liverpool, right? I mean – we've seen very few teams who have been able to basically open up against us and try to put the pedal down. Maybe city to some extent Atletico two years ago, did it to us. Um, but like, it's very, very difficult to do that and not expose yourself in the back um, in a way that will get you killed. And it feels like, you know, that goal will get him killed. And that's why I'm hopeful in terms of like the five substitutions is if we do get a goal and kind of demoralize them kind of like almost, semi put them away if you will then we can bring in the subs and start like resting people for the weekend um what do you think Gally? like what do you think their approach is going to be i'll pose the same question to you i think they'll be a, like to post point i think they'll be a little bit more expansive but i think they have to play a defensive setup that allows them to counter because it's the only it's their best offense is their defense so you know we we used to defend by having a great offense because we weren't that strong with the back, right? And like that was like the Suarez time. We would just score four goals because we're gonna concede three. Uh <laughs> and it it was just, you know, well, and Brendan Rogers was the manager. So right there, you know you have defensive frailties, see Leicester City. But the we we look back at the at that time and I think that's how they're gonna come at us. The difference is is they had a one goal lead to hang on to when they went to Bayern. And then they were hanging on to it at nil-nil and they stayed in their resolute system. And then they gave up the goal and they had to go score one and they and they were able to get their, you know, their due goal and they, they advanced playing their style. I don't think they can do that here in the second leg. And I don't think Emery wants to be so pragmatic that this is a nil-nil draw and he loses a semifinal at home by not trying to come out. And if I'm not mistaken, yeah, they're down a bunch of players, but their best player and their striker is back. I think Mourinho is going to start this match. So a couple of those opportunities they had, they may actually finish if they get those opportunities again. So I think the goal is get out there, score a goal in the first 20 minutes. And then I think you can cruise into a 2-0, 3-0 victory for Liverpool. So the flip side of things, Bickler, how do you think we approach it? Do we just go all at him trying to get that goal that Galley's talking about? Or do we kind of play a bit more controlled and not let him? I mean, you know we're going to play the high line because that's how we play. But there are ways where we do play 
there's a layer we go to in terms of being conservative, especially with the backs, how much they're pushing up. On the road in a semifinal in the Champions League, I don't cut, see us going in and playing conservatively. Um, but that doesn't mean that we're reckless, right? I mean, I still think we mitigate risk, but I think Galli alluded to it. I think the third goal is so important that it, like, that is, that is, a, it's a series killer over two legs. Um, and I think that, like, they know that. We know that. I think there'll be a concerted effort to get that one early. Um, because, you know, the longer you, you really have three phases in this match. You have that opening 25 minutes, and then you're closing 15, and then you have the middle section of the game. If we're able to score in that first 25 and that first sort of third, I think that makes the, those two thirds of the rest of the game a lot easier, a lot more manageable, and a lot, a lot of weight lifted off our shoulders. But if we go into that middle section of the game and it's nil-nil, I think this is where you're going to see uh, a real chess match between Emery and Klopp. Like, how do we adjust the midfield? How do we adjust the play to try to get that goal? What tactical adjust does Emery make? Because I think if it's if it's nil-nil and you're, we're heading towards 65 minutes, I think that is where Villarreal, Villarreal is going to start to take some chances and going to start to try to open that thing up, um, which is going to make them more vulnerable in the back. But if they do counter and, you know, Moreno finishes one and it's 2-1 and you're on the road and those – there's only 50,000 people in Villarreal, but they all show up at one time to one match <laughs> and it's going to yeah. be loud and, and they're going to be there for it. So – um, should be it should be a lot of fun. Plus, it's just these things that happen in these European nights. Like they go anyway. Like you know, a weird moment, and you see a red card, or you go down to ten men, you give up a a, a awkward you know deflection that flicks off a hand, and VAR says it's a penalty. Like you just you can't put this thing at all in chance. And I think that's why you get that early goal, and and you put this. To bed. I mean, I think we hoped that they could put it to bed in the first leg. They came close. They put themselves in a position to do it early, I think, in this match. And I, I'm with Paul. I think they go for it early and they come for it. And hopefully, for once, I was feeling like semi comfortable for my regular worrying levels and just give it to Galley to be like, anything can happen in the European night. Red <laughs> <parts and stuff. laughs> it's like, thanks, man. Appreciate it. I, I watched it like watched... an hour before kickoff. You know. We watched we watch Olympic Lyonnais knock out like literally knock out City a couple of years back with the best player now plays for fucking Burnley. So I mean, let's be honest, like on that night, you know, like anyone can, and I think that's the thing. Like you, that's why you don't leave it up to these. You go win it yourself, and I think that's what we're gonna go do tomorrow in this game. Yeah, because I feel like they're going to kind of like start the game like they did when we were playing home. Uh, in terms of, like, you know, Villarreal is going to hold the defense tight. See, maybe, I mean, obviously, after the first game, they will try different things in terms of how they're countering us. I thought we did extremely well, uh, above average than we normally do with that high line for stopping everything before it even started. And they're trying to nick it. Like, that first phase you're talking about, Bickler, I feel like they just do that. The first 25 minutes is almost like a repeat of what we played at home. And then they'll have to obviously open it up as they go. And that's when a goal is going to be crucial. But yeah, I feel like once we find one goal, we will be able to put them away a lot easier. And as well as the stadium too. I mean, yeah, I expect that place to be rocking. Uh, but I am hoping, you know, like we get that goal, kind of like take him out of the game a little bit too. And then just kind of like cruise so we can do those substitutions and get ready because, you know, quads don't happen easy. So Bickler... 
Let's get a score prediction from you. I will go, man, I'll go one nil. I think that will get it. I don't think it's going to be easy. I think it's going to come somewhere in the sludge of that middle section of the game. Um, yeah, it, there, I, I just, that's my gut feeling. I'll go one nil. What do you have, Gally? I'm going to say it's going to be two nil again. Um, but to Paul's point, you know, it, I don't think it's going to be super easy. I hope it comes early. I could see us nicking a goal at some point and then scoring another late one when they're pressing, trying to get two or three. Yep. Sparky Parker says two, two. I'm going with a two, one win away. I feel like, you know, we kind of score, get that two goal leads and then we kind of like slow down, try to almost like slow down the game, contain the pace and stuff like that. And then usually that's when we make some silly mistake that will let in a goal or like a set piece or something like that. And then that's how we'll end. Cause I really hope that we can kind of get him out of the plate. And whose Jersey would be worth picking up from this game, Gally? If I'm a fan, it, whose Jersey? A player, I'm making a, a player at, tonight. Who should it, I have? If on a player, start? if a player asks another player for the Jersey, I'm all for it. If you, you know, Timuchin show up with your sign, Pau Torres, can I have your jersey? I hope he walks up to you, takes off the jersey, puts it under his arm, and walks down the floor. Uh, I don't see if I get a lot more odd when players ask each other for the jersey. I mean, I understand it's, I mean, depends on the person. And kind of like Jamie was talking about earlier, I see people like chasing, you know, like Mo or Messi or somebody like that trying to get yours. I feel like that's a bit more odd because I feel like that looks yeah. a bit more, Listen, I don't know, to me as a fan, that looks worse. That's what these guys do. Like they trade jerseys. Sometimes they're smart enough to ask for them. A lot of times the star player. There was a great story uh, recently. I forgot what talk sport I heard it on, which basically whoever the English midfielder was, he had a very like small career. He didn't play a ton of caps for England. But he happened to be walking down the tunnel next to Maradona the day of the hand of God. And he looked him in the eye and was like, can I have your jersey? And the guy was like, sure. And he gave it to him. And he's had it ever since. And he still has it. And he always turned it down. Like he put it in a museum. He always said, I'll never sell it. People offered him like hundred thousands of pounds. Well, I guess he's just now putting it up for auction because someone had it appraised and it's worth like four and a half million dollars. But this guy, like this guy was working a full-time gig after playing football as a career for like 50, 60 grand a year, like a regular guy, not making a huge amount of money or living a huge life. And he's got this multi-million dollar thing. I'm happy for that guy. He got the jersey. He asked Maradona for it. You know, if an eight-year-old kid gets Maradona's jersey at the end of an amazing World Cup, I'm also happy for that kid. But I just don't see this holding the sign. I get it. I'm a grump. I'm a Scrooge. Look, if I go to this game, this is a chance for me to add my Alberto Moreno jersey collection, and nobody's (laughs) going to stop me, not even you. So anybody listening, start making your signs, put it in front of the TV, see if anything comes out of it, and then let us know. And you guys already know now the Christmas wish list that we have for oh, you. Find that top card, get it, get an autograph oh. on it, and send them out. 
first off, I'm sending out, I'm definitely sending out autographed coasters to just about everyone who leaves negative comments in the Discord and in this uh, chat. And I understand. It wasn't, it wasn't there to be liked, folks. It was just a public service announcement because, well, I felt like announcing to the public something really stupid they didn't need to know. Galley hates children. That's what we learned today. Good podcast. Yes. Galley is a killer of joy, especially when it's kids' joy. <laughs> That's what we learned today. I well, love children, just not ones that beg for things, I guess. Just not beggars. Yeah, so you don't like kids. <laughs> Pretty much, Paul. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah, that kind of goes hand in hand. Yeah. See, Bigler and I know the formula. And that was the going. joke, people. That was the joke. <laughs> yeah, stop the hate mail before it starts. Well, gentlemen, thanks a lot. And thanks to all those commenting, liking and sharing uh do more of that especially on my youtube channel if you have not subscribed please go ahead and over there under american scouts and subscribe there we have a lot of new video content coming up especially in this uh starting this week actually after the Villarreal game we have a rep right there at the game maybe we can ask adam adam betty who we had his like first article go out last week to Go there with a sign or something like that after this i'll message him and see oh, if he gets probably a self-respective adult <laughs> dude none of us are what are you talking about <laughs> and i'll be back thursday with the thursday crew as we recap this game and get ready for the premier league weekend thanks a lot everybody see you guys thursday